Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, it is wonderful to be with you here today. As we've already heard, it is a glorious day outside and it is Father's Day. Welcome to Broadview. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here and I believe I pretty much know everyone in the room today. So, um, so happy Father's Day, everybody. I was woken up this morning with three children jumping on me the moment that I kind of opened my eyes and Rachel said, he's awake. And I knew that they'd obviously been up for a little while and they immediately brought into me um, breakfast in bed, which I remember doing for my parents who are here today. Um, and uh, I had the full experience of it kind of being shoved on me before I could sit up. Um, the juice was good, but the cereal that had obviously been sitting for an hour... Not so good. Um, and they gave me probably the tiniest spoon that we have in the drawer to kind of sit there and like pour it down. But that's the father experience, isn't it? So um, that's good. So that will sustain me for what I'm doing right now. Obviously, the Spirit of God will sustain me, but that will help a little bit too. Um, so happy Father's Day, everybody. Um, I hope you have an incredible day today. Well, for the past few weeks, we have been journeying through the book of 1 Samuel. Um, if this is your first time here, um, Mum and Dad, we've been journeying through um, 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel tells the story of Israel, God's people of the Old Testament. And it focuses on their desire, mainly focuses on their desire um, for a king. The story begins with this desperate prayer of Hannah for a child and a, the child that she promises to give to God to serve him alone. And this child Samuel, of which the book is named after, is given to Eli the priest and becomes a prophet of God. And we read in chapter 3 that as a boy, he hears the voice of God for the first time. Samuel is chosen by God to be his voice to his people, but to also be a judge or a military leader of Israel. And he would be the last judge. Because of the desire of the people is continuing to grow. They wanted a king. They wanted a unified kingdom. And we hear it in the last verse of the book of Judges, which in the Hebrew Bible immediately goes before Samuel. And it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. But more than just kingship, the central theme of, um, of Samuel is character. That heart attitude that we have, the, the heart of Israel, the, the heart of the key characters that we find in it. You know, we immediately hear about Hannah and her amazing, beautiful heart. And we hear so much about the heart of God. That final verse of Judges brings that tension that they're all experienced to, to light. You can hear the words, the desire of the nation, that heart the nation has for a king, that desire to be led, that desire for a human leader. But more than that, the desire, because a king isn't just a leader, a king is someone you give allegiance to. The desire to give allegiance to a man, to live under a unified rule and government, under a human king like the nations around them. And so today, we are looking at chapters 8 through 10. These chapters tell the origin story of Saul, 
Saul, the first king of Israel. And it reaches from the desire for a king in chapter 8, and then how Saul and Samuel meet in chapter 9, and then his commissioning as king in chapter 10. And we won't read it all today because of time, and I'll jump through it and pull out three things I think are important for us to reflect on as followers of Jesus, as God's people today. But let's begin the chapter together. It says this. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and his name of his secondborn was Abijah, and they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside for dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. That's a nice thing to say to someone. You are old. I say that to mum sometimes. It's pretty fun. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all other nations have. But when, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They have, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king, what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. As we hear in this story, Samuel is old. He has come to the twilight of his life, and Israel has to face some realities. Their proven leader and their prophet was now old, and his sons were helping out in leadership, but they clearly weren't up for the task. We read that they, they took the opportunity to, to take that position and to live out selfish lies, to pervert justice, to accept bribes, and to, to live for dishonest gain. And as the book of Judges says in that final verse, they they aren't the only ones. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. This was a disunified time of 12 tribes without a central government. But under Samuel, as we would have read in the previous chapter, there was not only, there was peace. There was peace with the neighboring powerful Philistines on their western border. And there was restoration of of towns and, and, and land. But also under Samuel, there was peace to the Amorites to the east. But these threats on the east and the west on both sides were still real. And it would continue to become an issue in the chapters of Samuel to come. So what we see straight away in the lives of Samuel's sons, in the request of Israel itself, is that opportunity and pressure exposes the heart. Opportunity and pressure exposes our character. When I was eight, and it was my birthday, this is why I've got this here today, I remember two things. One, which would change my birthdays to come forever. The first was that I received my favourite childhood Lego set, a Lego castle set 6077-2 called Forestman's River Fortress. I've actually got the instructions here. It's one of those things when you, when you, my kids have looked at this and tried to break it, and they haven't succeeded yet. My favorite ever Lego set. The second thing 
This may change how you view of me today. Involves these. Mum knows what I'm talking about. I remember on my eighth birthday, it was a Saturday, asking mum, can I do what I want today? Which she answered yes. Which, of course, had clauses that everybody would imagine. And I'm sure mum thought it was actually a reasonable question and she was giving a loving answer considering that it was a Saturday. But with that answer, I immediately grabbed a pair of scissors they were bigger than this. We never had scissors this size at home. They were always a bit bigger. I grabbed my sister's hair by the root and cut straight through. Now, there's two camps here. There's a camp of some of you who said, you guys clearly did not smack your son enough. Let's punish him. We don't talk about smacks anymore, but you know. There's a bit of that. Then there's others like Siggy at the sound desk who would know that, you know what, your sister probably had it coming. There's kind of two things here in this story. With that answer, I grabbed the scissors and I cut her hair at the root. And the thing about it that was so bad, apart from that being bad and she would have to then go to school like that, is that my sister really struggled to grow her hair. She had really thin hair when she was little and mum would try all these different things to try to thicken it up. And she finally had kind of got her hair to a point where it looked reasonable. And there I was, cutting it off. I took that opportunity... It's an opportunity I never, ever got again. <laughs> never, ever did I get anything I wanted on my birthday. Um, I got good stuff on my birthday, but I remember doing dishes on my birthday and talking to mum about it, and she's like, well, everybody has to do this. The whole tone of my birthday changed forever. I took the opportunity to show where my heart was at. I'm being honest here. Pressure also does the same thing too. We see it in little things. We see it in the way people drive in peak hour, desperate to get home. That piece of road in front of my car belongs to me. No, you may not get into it. But we also see it in big things. The way that different people respond in crisis. If crisis is at our front door, we respond in a in certain way. If crisis is something overseas, then we might respond a little bit different. If there's a crisis and we're all asked to do a certain thing, some of us don't want to do it. Some of us are more happy to do it. Now, I don't want to talk about the nuances of that, but I think the last two years have exposed each of us. They've exposed each of where our heart is at, the things that we truly value. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we value who we value is a reflection of our heart. The people wanted a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. And more than that, they wanted to serve something of their own image. And, and you hear that in God's response to Samuel. Don't be upset. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. And they've done this since the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. The author N.T. Wright, in his book, For All God's Worth, says this. He says, left to myself, talking of the human heart, the God I want is a God who will give me what I want. He, or more likely it, will be a projection of my own desires. At a grosser level, this will lead me to one of the more obvious pagan gods or goddesses who offer their devotees money or sex or power. All idols start off 
as the God somebody wanted. At a more sophisticated level, the God I want will be a God who lives up to my intellectual expectations, a God of whom I can approve rationally or judiciously after due consideration, weighing up the weighing up of theological probabilities. I want this God because he or it will underwrite my intellectual arrogance. The net result is that I become God. And this God I've made becomes my puppet. You see, the, as God says himself, the bigger issue here isn't that they wanted a king, but what that king really meant about where their heart was at. It was Israel rejecting God as their king. They wanted a God of their own making, and they were rejecting God's kingship. They were rejecting God's way of doing things for a kingship like the nations around them. We too can want a ruler king like the nations. But what we need is a servant, saviour king of every nation. In life, we want to rule by our way, by our broken rules. Broken rules, that, broken rules that desire power and privilege and pleasure and self. Brokenness shaped by fear and selfishness and desire, ambition and judgment. Our own sense of right or wrong. And we see this in the tension of what Samuel then describes when he tries to warn them. He says in verse 11, he says, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they'll run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He would take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and, and give them back and give them to his attendants. Sorry. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people, heard that all the people had said, he pleaded before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them. And give them a king. When you hear God's warning about where you can see, sorry, when you hear God's warning through Samuel, God is clear about where this is headed. There will be a day when you realize that this wasn't the answer that you needed. You will cry out for relief from this king that you have chosen. Because he will take the best of your fields, a tenth of your grain, wine or flocks, your lives he will take as his right. He will take all of it as his right in his ambition. He will take all of what you would normally offer to me, your loving, faithful God, as worship. The one who time and time again has lovingly delivered you. And instead of finding freedom and deliverance, Samuel warns that you will become his slaves. This is what life 
under our own king. This is what life by the rules of the world around us. This is what life by brokenness has to offer us. You know, God had offered them a way of life in his law where no one would ever, ever, ever live in perpetual slavery. Slaves were freed every seven years unless they chose to remain. Land always belonged to the family and tribe to which it was given and was always returned every 49 years. No one would have the right that belonged to someone. No one had the right to give that which belonged to someone else. This is the character of God. This is the life that he wanted for his people. This is the light that he was bringing to the nations. This way of living. This level of dignity. But lives lived in fear, in desire and ambition means that we worship and we work for that that will only make us a slave. And so often we gladly say yes to those terms. But the king over every nation is not like the king of other nations. And we see the character of God the Father in Jesus the Son, as we heard earlier on this morning, that Jesus is the king of an upside-down kingdom where the first is last and the last becomes first. The king who will wash his disciples' feet and says to the one who wants to refuse, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. The one who doesn't take our lives as his right, but instead offers us a way to eternal life, who asks us to take up our cross and to follow him to seek this upside-down kingdom and its righteousness and promises, and that all the other things, the abundant life that we, that we desire, will be added to us as well. This is King Jesus, the one who, while we'll steal his enemies, we read in Philippians 2, he took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So like the Israelites in this day, God today offers us his way. Now through his son, Jesus, the king of the upside down kingdom. Are we willing to, to look to God or are we, are we willing to grasp on to fear today? You know, the story of the Israelites moves forward and we read in chapter 9 how Saul and Samuel meet. It's a weird story involving missing donkeys and, and much wandering, trying to find them. And in desperation, they, they reach out to Samuel to see if he knows where they are. And in this crazy story, we see how they meet and how Samuel, um, through Samuel, God calls Saul. You know, God knew his people he spoke centuries earlier in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 17. He knew one day they would ask for a king. And though the people walked away from God's way, he didn't walk away from them. You see, God is always faithful, always loving to us, even when we are flawed, 
In chapter 10, Samuel has anointed Saul as king and tells him of three different signs that will happen to him on his way home. In verse 9, it says, In the fulfillment of these signs, Saul turned to leave Samuel and God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and joined in their prophesying. And he joined in their prophesying. When all of those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? You see, in this story, we see that God in his faithfulness doesn't abandon in he doesn't abandon his people. Instead, we see him working through their flaws, through their flawed desires, still remaining present in their story. Still bringing his presence, anointing the king he chooses to rule. Where God could have stepped back and said, that's it. You guys want to go a different way? I'm out of here. Instead, he does something incredible. He fills Saul by his spirit. It's so evident that they're left wondering, what has happened to this man? In this story, we see the character of the Father God that we've been celebrating today. The God who Jesus says in Matthew 7 is the good Father. The God who the Apostle John says in 1 John 4 is love, the the one who first loved us. The one God who the writer of Hebrews says we can draw near to in chapter 10 with full assurance who washes us from a guilty conscience and gives us hope because he who is promised is faithful. So even though God didn't want Israel to have a king, because Israel asked for it, God gave Saul. And he gave Saul the best start in his role as king by encountering him by his spirit. But, you know, we will discover in the coming weeks that Saul wouldn't live up to this promise as king. No human king ever can. But even in the failures of the earthly kings that we will read about and the Bible continues to go through and describe, God would never, ever abandon his people. And finally, he would send his own son, Jesus, to be king. Not just of the Israel nation, but for all who call upon his name, for all of creation. So I think these stories, this story leaves us asking some questions. Some questions I want to ask you today. Where is your heart? Where have you placed your treasure? In this world that can seem so uncertain, so it can feel like we have threats pressing from either side, like the nation of Israel, where is your heart today? In that pressure, has your heart been exposed? Who have you been looking to as your king, as your truth, as your refuge, as your strength? Maybe today you feel enslaved by fear or by worry or by the decisions that you've made. And when you examine your life, you start to realize maybe who is in control. What way of living, what way of thinking have you sold yourself to? Are you finding yourself becoming more of a slave or are you finding yourself becoming more free? Because in John 8, Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you are free 
indeed. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, we read in Timothy. Are you experiencing that freedom today, despite the circumstances? You know, 1 Samuel 9 introduces us to Saul, the Saul who would become king. But in the New Testament, Acts 9 will introduce us to another Saul, This Saul, in his flawed and broken life, had given his life to death by religion, pursuing and persecuting Christians, taking value in the greatest theological argument. And God, in his faithfulness too, would meet this Saul, the Saul who would encounter Jesus on the Damascus Road. This encounter would lead to his repentance and later he too would be filled by the Holy Spirit. This would forever change his life. This would change his name. He would become Paul and he would travel the world and write half of the New Testament because of the life that he has found in Jesus. And so today, if you feel flawed for whatever reason, what we see in Saul of the Old Testament and in Saul who becomes Paul in the New is that God wants to meet you here. He wants to, for you to encounter him or to encounter him again. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his spirit. He wants you too to be forever changed. Where is your heart today? Are you feeling enslaved? Are you feeling flawed? God is forever faithful in every single one of those things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that whoever we are, no matter what this Season is showing us about ourselves, maybe, that, Lord, that you are wanting to encounter us in that moment, that you don't abandon us, even when we have made or continue to have made decisions that you would never have agreed with. We've continued to walk away that you would never want us to walk in because all that does is make us more of a slave. Lord, we thank you that by your kingship, by what you did on the cross, that you have set us free that by knowing your spirit today, that by your spirit filling our lives today, we can know that freedom, we can know that love, we can know how much you are for us and not against us. Lord, I pray for those today who are looking at their lives. Maybe Father's Day reminds them again of the flaws of their own life. Maybe the flaws of their own fatherhood or maybe the flaws of their life that they can kind of link back to the kind of father maybe they had. Lord, we thank you that the story of Samuel shows us that you can enter into that and create something beautiful. Lord, that we can often have a heart attitude like the Israelites where we want things in our own way, by our own system, by our own rules. But Lord, we thank you that you have a different way an upside-down way. 
a way that leads to life and life in abundance. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to repent, to give up those things, to not make the mistake of the Israelites, but to listen to your voice today. If they'd only listened to the voice of Samuel, maybe things would have been different. But, Lord, you speak to each of us today by your Spirit. We can know your voice. Your voice is speaking to us today. You are active in the world. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us to, that you would help us to hear the voice of your Spirit calling us to a new way of living, calling us to placing you at the center of our life, not ourselves. Help us to lay down the idols that we build, those idols that we heard about earlier, to lay them down, to allow you to be who you are. You are who you are. I am who I am, you say. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we ask that you would move in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to um, sing a song together to, to close. But Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.